welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. So I'd like to first ask you, um, so you are a classically trained opera singer. What is your favorite warm-up exercise? <laughs> um, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I know the ones that I hate the most. <laughs> I mean, I think honestly, my favorite one is one that is super easy. And like, if you didn't know anything, you're like, you're not doing anything, but it's like, it almost massages the vocal cords oh. and it's just doing like thirds in ooze. Yeah. Just and just like sliding and it's like it's the easiest thing but it also feels really good it's it's something that i i i I do when i'm first starting out especially if i haven't sung for a while like now and i'm like oh my god that feels good and then i get into the harder the harder vocal warm-ups and i'm like oh my god i'm so out of shape what am i doing (laughs) i can't sing anymore but that first one where I'm just doing sliding thirds, it feels so yeah. damn good. <laughs> oh, great. Do you also, well, I guess more when you were doing this professionally, were you, were, do you also do tongue twisters as well, like like a, an actor warm-up, or is it mostly those kind of vocal singing warm-ups? No, it's mostly vocal singing ones. Okay. Yeah, we'll do ones that... that that kind of strengthen our tongue for, you know, flipping our R's and, and that stuff. But n- none that, like, what were the ones that I did in high school, you know, when I was doing more theater? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I can't even remember, like, red leather, yellow leather. Oh, yes. Red leather, yellow leather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really do that when, when warming up for opera. Okay. Not so much. All right. So, yeah. so let's start then in the beginning. What made you want to study and go to school for voice and opera? Well, I've always been a performer. I was that kid who was slightly annoying because she would just like get up and sing wherever. I think there was like home videos from 19, you know, 88, where I'm just like on a coffee table singing Little Mermaid or something. And, uh, <laughs> and that was just me. I was yeah. a ham growing up wanting to be the center of attention um, and loving to perform. So my parents supported that. And um, <clears throat> I don't come from a bunch of performers in my family um, at all, but they totally supported it. They put me in dance classes and, and music lessons and theater classes and all that. Um, and so I, there was just no other choice for me growing up. I always knew I wanted to do some kind of performing. 
I didn't know exactly what that was going to be. And then I started taking voice lessons in the um, very beginning of high school. Okay. And it was actually um, recommended by one of my music teachers. Um, I think it was sixth grade. I sang Memory from Cats in the sixth grade talent show because oh. that's so age appropriate. It, it um, is. It's, I mean, it's, it sounds beautiful. That's all that everybody really needs to know. Oh, it's funny. I have video of it. I take a lot of a lot of breaths in the middle of words. Um, but, but yeah, that voice teacher um, or that music teacher from from my school took my mom aside and was like, "Hey, I, I think your your daughter might have something and should take some private voice lessons." And um, and around like eighth or ninth grade, I started taking private voice lessons and. That teacher, Andrea Thornock in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, she really introduced me to classical music. Yeah. I didn't know anything about classical music or opera. Neither did my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really introduced it to me, and I fell in love. And I, I just, I couldn't get enough of all of these new people I now were hearing of, like Mozart and, and, um, it was just, it, it was a real love for me. And I was like, I think this is what I want to do, you know, when I was trying to narrow it down. Um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be a ballerina because I was, you know, five, three and, and it, like of average size. <laughs> so, you know, what a, so I was like, I think I really want to be a singer. And, um, and it was when I was deciding to go to college that I was like, okay, well now I have to decide do I want to go into musical theater or do I want to go into opera? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I decide what I wanted to major in and I just loved classical music. And, um, and so I decided to go for that. And my parents came along for the ride. They, they just started learning. Yeah. About, they, were, they were totally cool with that all, all along the way. They really were. I really lucked out with having incredibly supportive parents who never once said to me, are you sure you want to do that? It's not the most logical choice <laughs> for a major. Right. But looking back, I'm so glad that they supported me through that. Okay. What is your favorite uh, opera to sing or just listen to either way? Okay. So those are two very different things. That's true. They are, they are different things. All right. So, so like, please answer both then. So my favorite to sing is any Mozart opera. Um, I loved singing Donna Elvira from Don Giovanni. I loved singing the Countess Mm -hmm. in Le Notte di Figaro. Um, And also, and I loved singing my favorite one to watch, which is La Boheme. I loved singing that as well. But um, Mozart just sat so well in my voice Mm -hmm. um, that it was like easy. It wasn't easy, of course, but, but like it just felt more natural. So I just loved singing it. And his his music is just like it just builds on each other. It's just so perfect. Yeah. Well, great. Are you? Uh, let's say I'm looking through your. Are, what are you a, a just? Are you a soprano? Are you a mezzo soprano? I'm a lyric soprano. Okay. Right now I sound like a mezzo because I just came from a back from a wedding in New Orleans. <laughs> so. Things, you know, I would have had to keep watch on if I were still singing professionally. I wouldn't yeah. have been able to, like, party in New Orleans the way I did. Exactly. <laughs> My liver would have been a lot happier if I had 
<laughs> Still restraining myself. That's how it usually works. So <laughs> what did you do after you graduated? Were you able to like jump right in and start performing professionally? Were you also doing a couple of things at the same time or how that work? So I did undergrad at Boston University and then I went straight into grad school at Manhattan School of Music. I moved to New York. Um, and then once I graduated there, I started living that starving artist life <laughs> where I was working day jobs and going to auditions and, you know, getting small gigs here and there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And it was also incredibly hard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I had, God, I've, I've had dozens of jobs, I swear. Um, getting in, you know, counting as my day jobs. Um, but yeah, I was auditioning for a lot of young artist programs. Um, you know, in the opera world, a lot of the bigger houses will have, um, kind of like apprenticeship programs for younger opera singers. Um, and they, a lot of them do that to fill their chorus up with, with really great singers as well. Yeah. Um, and cause they don't have to pay that much. And, um, and they'll do educational, um, components as well. So you'll be, you'll have smaller roles in the main stage and, and sing the chorus. And then a lot of them have educational stuff. And so I was auditioning for a lot of those. I was getting smaller gigs, um, you know, with, with teeny tiny houses, mm-hmm. um, in New York and, um, Philadelphia and DC and, and got to sing some cool roles. Yeah. What? So what? What has been your favorite place to sing at, or favorite opera house to sing at? Um, that's good. I, I think I think Bronx Opera will always hold a really special place in my heart. Uh, that was one of the first places I got to sing full roles with full orchestras. Oh. Wow. Um, and. I sang two um, leads with them, and it's always been special. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to sing the national anthem at a Washington Nationals game was pretty cool too. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I got I got to sing at the vice president's residence, Joe Biden, vice president. Might <laughs> 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 I add? Right, just a clar- clarification. Just yes, Joe Biden. Clarify. Definitely show. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I sang, um, I got to sing at the vice president's residence, which was really neat. Yeah, that's great. All right, so I'm I'm looking at your timeline, and then it seems like 2014, something happened and something switched. So what made you want to, I guess, give up or stop being a professional singer and then transition to what you're doing now? Guess how old I was at that time. Um, thir- <laughs> 30. 30? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that always the age where it happens? <laughs> that is. That that was the age for me, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was actually just as I was about to turn 30 okay. um, that I, I, I kind of allowed myself to admit I wasn't happy mm-hmm. anymore. And, you know, it, it kind of crept up on me and I denied it for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, cause this was my dream. And more than that, 
it was my identity. Who am I if I am not an opera singer? Yeah. Um, so I really pushed down those feelings and cause, you know, also in my mind, I'm like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to sacrifice everything for this one dream. Um, and then I, and I realized that, oh my God, I am sacrificing everything in my life for this, this potential future life this this life that may be mm-hmm. um but oh my god this is my life right now <laughs> i'm living it right and um and i realized that actually i don't think i even wanted the end result um i i you know was looking at the people who made it you know i have a friend who sings at all of the top houses she sings at the met she sings at la scala and she's away from her kids for weeks and weeks on end. Mm-hmm. She doesn't see them as much as I would like to. Yeah. And, you know, financially, you know, she, she's, she's doing well. She's like one of the, the top. Um, but she couldn't even afford to buy a place in, in New York. So I was like, I was like, damn. I, what am I sacrificing everything in my life for if I don't even want the end result? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I could never really also figure out how to make it work financially while doing it. Um, it's such an expensive thing to pursue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're paying for voice lessons, for coachings, for travel to and from auditions and, and gigs and, um, performances and, and you're even paying to freaking audition. It is like the most frustrating thing ever. You like mail off these checks or I guess now they probably do it <laughs> electronically, but probably. in my day, yeah. mail off these checks of like $30 to just have them look at your resume and it didn't even mean you were going to get an audition at all the places. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that part. I didn't know that they charge the singers. That's that's terrible, by the way. They should not be doing that. And it's all of the young artists. Yeah, exactly. I get an opera struggling, but that's not the type of people that you should be taking money from. Exactly. And some of them are some of the companies are great and they don't charge. And some of the companies are, you know, okay and they they'll give you your money back if you don't get an audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many that will just take that. And, and if you're auditioning at like 30 places in a season, that adds up. Yeah, that does. <laughs> so it's a really expensive, you know, field to, to delve into. And I could never really figure out how to pay for it all. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time where I was working four or five jobs, um, trying to, it. and when you're working that hard, trying to make the money, like, it was affecting my singing. Like I w- didn't have the energy to practice right. as much. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just couldn't ever really figure out how to make that work. Um, and I realized that was really getting to me. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was ready for something different. And so I made the d- decision. I remember it was like right before Thanksgiving um, that year before I turned 30. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. 
And I called my parents and I cried to them. And um, my mom was like, I kind of knew this was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Mothers always know. (laughs) Don't they? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So she she could tell, like, just with the way I was talking about it. And um, but it was like going through a breakup. Mm-hmm. It really was. My heart was broken. It was, I, I, it's like you're leaving someone that you know you're not meant to be with anymore, but your heart is broken because you loved that person. And, and that's how it felt when I left opera. And it was really tough to figure out who I was going to be in this new life. I had no clue what I was going to do next. None. I thought maybe like I'll go into marketing or PR, you know, that's creative too. But then I like after lots of research into that, I'm like, I don't know if that's the best fit. Um, and it was actually another opera singer who went into tech, who was the first one who suggested learning how to code. Tyler Wayne Smith, he's working at a tech recruiter at Vimeo right now. And we sang together in an amazing, um, recital at symphony space in new york mm-hmm. and um he, he was like hey have you thought about coding like we there's such a need right now and you would be so you know sought after mm-hmm. and i laughed in his face i was like are you kidding me no i'm an opera singer like in my mind i had this idea of the stereotypical computer person with, you know, their headphones on in a corner and they're in a dark corner hacking away and like they yeah. don't know how to talk to people. And I, so I just laughed in Tyler's face and I was like, no, you're crazy. <laughs> and then another friend actually <laughs> recommended it to me, like completely, you know, separate from, from Tyler. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the, <laughs> why is this a thing? And so I started actually thinking about it. And I remember teaching myself HTML when I was working at a nonprofit music school in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, they didn't have anyone to update their website. Right. So I was like, okay, let me teach myself. And, and I taught myself HTML and like was, did enough to like know how to update our events page and everything. And, um, I actually really liked it and I spent a little bit more time on it than I mm-hmm. should have. <laughs> um, I had a lot of other duties that I think mm-hmm. I was shirking because <laughs> I was playing around with it. So I was like, huh, I, d- I did actually like that. Maybe there's something to this and talking to friends. Um, I think what really piqued my interest was the idea of these coding boot camps. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had never heard of this. Um, this was four years ago, so they were kind of just starting out, um, a little less prolific than they are today. And my friends were like, you go for three months and you learn how to code and then you get a job and it's amazing and you make so much money. Um, and I was like, okay, this sounds incredible. Like I knew I didn't want to go back to four years of school or something like that and, and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and, um, so I was like, all right, well, then let me teach myself a little bit and see if I still like it. So sure. I did some co- uh, courses online and um, and I was like, huh, I actually really do like this. I think I I think I want to do this. And I talked to my brother, who is an electrical engineer mm-hmm. and like sheepishly 
presented this idea to him of like, hey, what do you think about me being a coder? Waiting for him to like laugh in my face. And uh, he was like, yes, oh my God, yes, this is amazing. Uh, he was like, I want another engineer in the family. Uh, and so I was talking with him. He was like, he was like here's how, here's a good question for seeing if you're going to like this. Mm-hmm. Do you like puzzles? And I was like, you know, I do. Like, I, I, we, we do puzzles all the time on yeah. <laughs> my vacations. And, um, and he was like, do you get, you know, really excited when you like figure out a puzzle at the end of it and you mm-hmm. just high five everyone? And I was like, uh huh. Yes. And he was like, I, I think you, you would like building things. He was being an engineer. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay. So I I taught myself more and I applied to Flatiron School in New York and got rejected. Oh. And um, I was like, okay, all right, I'll show them. So I taught myself more <laughs> and I went to every Flatiron School meetup um, because I knew that that was one of the best schools in New York. Uh-huh. And I was like, if I'm going to lay down all of this moolah, it's yeah. going to be at a good one. And you have yeah. to be careful because there are some ones out there that aren't so great. Sure. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to make them accept me. <laughs> so I basically stalked Adam, one of the co-founders, and, and went to all the meetups and like make sure, make sure I sought him out. I was like, Adam, guess what? Guess what I built? And <laughs> and I applied again, and this time I got in. <laughs> so, stalking for the win. <laughs> right. Yeah. When in doubt, stalk the founders. I like yeah. I like this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I did uh, Flatiron School, which was three months, and um, and it was intense. It was very very intense. Um, I don't think I've ever been so exhausted for such a long period of time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm so glad it was as intense as it was because I really got um, I got a lot out of it. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. great. So what? So after your three months, then how how did it work with transitioning to your first job? Did they help you do that, or is it kind of like you're on your own now? Congratulations, or how'd that go? Yeah, so they have a whole career department that helps you get your first job. Okay. Um, but mine happened to not come from that at all. Oh. Um, I met the CEO of a branding agency at a wedding in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and this was actually before I went to Flatiron School. And, okay. um, yeah. And the bride was like, oh, my God, my cousin lives in Brooklyn. You live in Brooklyn. You need to meet. And um, I was, you know, we were talking and he was telling me, you know, what he does. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go to coding school and learn how to build websites and all that jazz. And he was like, oh, man, we have people that build websites for us. I'd love to have some kick ass female devs on our team. Call me when you get out. And I did. Because <laughs> you don't forget that offer, you're gonna yeah. take you're gonna take him up on that. Um, so as soon as I graduated, I emailed him and I was like, "Hey, are you still looking for a kick-ass female dev for your team?" Yeah. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, I think we are." And so he put me in touch with their team, 
and I met with them and I interviewed. Um, and there began um, my time at Red Antler, which is a branding agency in Brooklyn. Okay. And um, it was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. I got to build a lot of really cool websites designed by incredibly talented designers. So I'm really happy I had that. And it was um, it was wonderful. It was it was my first introduction to like the startup world. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, there are dogs in the office. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> There was so wait. What other startupy, stereotypical startup the e things were in your office? Did you also have a ping pong table and then beer? Uh huh. Yes, we had a keg. Keg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a full bar. Like yeah. they built a bar in the office, because um, they would entertain clients as well. Um, so we had yeah, we had ping pong and and um, everyone was wearing hoodies and like sneakers and and just like so different than any nine to five I had imagined, which I think is exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, being an artist, you're like, damn you, nine to five, I could never do you. You're the worst. You're evil. Like, it seems so horrible, at least to me. Maybe that's just me. Um, but I think this was perfect because it was such a relaxed environment mm-hmm. and so chill. And um I think if I had gotten a job where like I had to wear pantyhose, I would not have survived. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, it, like if I had to be in there at like eight, eight o'clock in the morning and you know, they would notice if I was in at eight Oh one, Oh my God, I would have been fired after a week. Right. So <laughs> this was a good, like first step into that, you know, nine to five world. Yeah. You like put a toe in and ease your way in. That's nice. Yeah. Yes, and so, I still don't want to wear pantyhose to this day. No, not not to the startup. No, that's too bad. So, uh, <laughs> what made you decide to then move to San Francisco? So, after eleven years in San Fran- in New York City, I was ready to leave. I was getting a little worn down by the intensity and the toxicity that that can be, um, and ready for something new. Um, I had grew up outside of DC, then I went to Boston for school, and then I moved to New York. So I'd always been in those same type of East Coast cities. And I was ready for something new. And um, so I decided I really like San Francisco. Why the hell not? I, yeah. I, you know, I was single at the time, there's nothing holding me back. So I said, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for a job out in San Francisco. Um, I also knew that I wanted a slightly different type of job. Um, my work at Red Antler was all front-end coding, okay. um, which meant I wasn't de- dealing with data um, or, or back-end logic. And I was really missing that. So I wanted something that's called full stack, where you're dealing with the data on the back-end, um, and you're dealing with presenting that to the user on the front-end. Um, so, so since I knew I wanted to switch jobs to kind of switch up what I was doing, um, I was like, this is time to go to San Francisco. So I found a job there and I started at Mavenlink, um, which is a project management and resource planning software. It's a B2B, uh, company and yeah, and, and it was a great, uh, experience. That's great. So then let's see here as you've been working 
in the last year you started up Women's Level Up. What made women. you want? Yeah. Wait, sorry, we, yeah, we, sorry, Women Level Up. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. What made you want to? So what's that focused on, and what made you want to start that? Yeah. So as soon as I moved out to San Francisco, I <laughs> I think they 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 call it you. <laughs> I became woke. <laughs> that is like the right way of putting it. That's what the kids are calling it. Like all of a sudden I was, you know, in Silicon Valley and, you know, where feminism is a, is a huge part of life out here because it's such a part of the industry where we've been dealing with gender discrimination, we've been dealing with sexual harassment. And so I started reading more and more about feminism and more and more about diversity and inclusion and completely nerding out about it. And it has now become a huge passion of mine. And a coworker of mine at Maven Link actually started a group at Maven Link called Maven Diversity. Okay. And um, Maven Link was amazing about it. They really supported it and, you know, gave us lunch every other Friday to sit and talk about diversity and inclusion topics. Mm-hmm. And um, from that stemmed the idea of getting out into the community and doing something to help others. And uh, this idea for a meetup um, came to fruition with this, the same woman that I started Maven Diversity with. We started Women Level Up, and it is a once-monthly meetup um, in San Francisco aimed at female engineers um, and we kind of, uh, we kind of lean towards mid-level or senior engineers, the meetups for beginners. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a wonderful experience. I, every, so like, it's always the last Monday of every month. So okay. for like three weeks, I am freaking out trying to find speakers and trying to get it all together. <laughs> and then three weeks in a day, I'm, I, I'm just feeling so amazed after being surrounded by this community mm-hmm. that is coming every month and um, trying to trying to share what I've learned in my short time in the industry and as a female in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really, really wonderful. Yeah. Is do you have a, a website or how do you yeah. organize your, your meetups? So our website is womenlevelup.com, okay. and we have a call for proposals there. So if anybody listening to this wants to speak, please apply. Um, and you can also just find us on Meetup by searching Women Level Up. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And then now you also co-host a podcast. What, yeah. uh, what What made you want to get also get into podcasting? Because it scared me. <laughs> I have a tendency of if something scares me, that means I should do it. Mm, okay. That that can range from jump out of a plane mm-hmm. to <laughs> do a podcast talking about you know things that you might not have mastered yet in front of thousands of thousands of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually a guest first on this podcast. It's called Ruby Rogues, and mm-hmm. it's all about the programming language Ruby. And I was a guest first talking about um, the parallels between music and code. Um, and then they emailed me saying, you know, we love talking to you. Would you think about joining the panel? Mm-hmm. And it's it's an all male panel. And they're all they all have been doing this for decades. Sure. And so I was super intimidated 
And I was like, I've only been coding for four years. Um, I'm going to sound like a complete idiot. <laughs> but then I was like, you're going to learn a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn so much doing this. So you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so far, I haven't embarrassed myself. <laughs> so that's good. And I'm learning so much every week. It's a new topic about, you know, Ruby and, and I'm learning so much. I'm really glad that I've done that. Oh, good. So if you like Ruby, check out Ruby Rogues. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put a link in the show notes to that one. Thanks. So you made an interesting comment about how your, your topic was about the connection between music and coding. Have you, do you ever regret going to school for voice? And if not, how has your training in music helped with what you're doing right now? I never regret either going to school or becoming a professional musician. Mm -hmm. I am so happy I had that in my life. Um, Not only because I was really living, I was living my dream. I was being able to create music with incredibly talented people Mm -hmm. and, and get so much joy from that. Um, but also because I found that it was preparing me in many ways for my second career, which I never, I never thought that was going to be the case. When I decided to switch careers and go into coding, I thought that if I was going to have any success as an engineer, it was going to be in spite of my background. You know, I, I, I thought I was going to have to like just double down and work twice as hard as everyone else to catch up. Um, because I, I didn't look like the rest of the engineers I was seeing and I didn't have the same background. You know, a lot of the engineers I've talked to have been doing this for decades. And when they were 12, they were, you know, taking apart computers and putting them back together. I was in sequence and singing show tunes at 12. <laughs> <laughs> Like I played Oregon Trail, but yeah. that was about it. <laughs> I was never like, oh, I love computers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that like I was really going to be an underdog and I was going to have to, you know, work twice as much. And, you know, and in certain, in certain aspects, that's true. I'm definitely like, you know, fighting some, some misconceptions coming in as an opera singer. But, sure. um, I, I remember the day when I realized that being a musician was actually helping me. I was sitting in class at Flatiron School and I was kicking ass at class. Like I was answering all the questions, you know, they're asking, okay, how do we build this model? And I was like, you do this. And then they're like, okay, now you do. And I was like, you open up that file and you write this and this, that, and then you open up that file. Like I was amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Then the teacher stopped me and he was like, okay, so Catherine, tell us why, why, why are you writing that there? Why, what is it doing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, cause I memorized it. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue. Yeah. And I was like, how in the world did I know all of that stuff? And like, it wasn't cause I knew what it was doing really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh my God. It's just memorizing patterns. And I know how to do that. Every musician is like taught how to recognize and memorize and replicate patterns. 
anything from a like on a very small scale, <laughs> no pun intended, um, <laughs> where it's like you know you're singing um, some Bach and you know you have a melisma that that's gonna be like okay you go up a major third and then then down a fifth and then up you know you're memorizing those smaller patterns, um, you're memorizing the greater patterns of like. Oh, you have, a, you know, a handle aria and you've got the A section and you've got the B section and you've got the A prime. Mm-hmm. So patterns, that's what music is. Yeah. And guess what? Same thing with code. <laughs> so I was super good at memorizing all of the different patterns that it take, that it took to build code mm-hmm. um, and to write code. And then I realized I had to really slow myself down and make sure that I did know what the hell was going on. <laughs> and, and I still have to do that because mm-hmm. um, it's really easy for me to just regurgitate stuff. Right. Um, so a lot of the work I do now is to like go under the hood and, and behind the curtain and really understand what's going on. Um, but that thought that's been in my mind ever since I started that like, Hey, Music was an amazing part of this. And so I started doing more research into that, into, into the connection between music and code specifically. And what about my training had helped me in my coding career. And, um, and I found out a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there are a lot of amazing studies out there about what music and musical training does to the brain Mm -hmm. and it's incredible it physically changes your brain um like as a pianist uh you have to really um balance out your weak hand to match your dominant hand right so that your that your hands play with equal strength turns out that changes your brain Hmm. Uh, they did a study um on a part of the brain called the central sulcus Mm-hmm. that um, it can it, you can look at that to see if someone is right or left-handed. Um, so if it's deeper on the left side, it means you're right-handed. If it's deeper on the right side, it means you're left-handed. And what they found with pianists is there that the central sulcus was symmetrical. And these weren't people who said, oh, yeah, it's because I'm ambidextrous. Mm-hmm. No, these were people who are like, no, I'm right-handed, I'm left-handed. Um, and so what they were able to infer is that it was all of the work they did balancing their sides, um, that literally changed their brain to be more symmetrical, Wow! which like blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, things like that, that I I realized that being a musician makes you a better problem solver. Mm Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people think of artists as only using one side of their brain. Um, but as a musician, you are constantly using almost every part of your brain at the same time um, because you're dealing with both physical things, um, with the motor cortices, and as well as the more creative side. Um, and so you're sending messages back and forth between the right and left hemisphere mm-hmm. constantly. And that lends itself to then problem solving is that, um, so that, that actually has, has to do with the part of the brain called the corpus callosum. And that is the part of the brain that actually connects the right and left hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And 
that's what helps get the messages back and forth across. And with musicians, the the scientists have found larger corpus callosum, hmm. physically larger. And yeah. what that means in real life is that in problem solving, when you do need to go back and forth between the hemispheres, musicians can problem solve in faster and more diverse ways. Okay. So that kind of helps being a developer when every single day is problem solving. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Great. You also mentioned briefly about how you run toward things that you are are afraid of Mm -hmm. just in general. So, um, you know, for many people being in front of another, a group on stage is, is absolutely terrifying. Uh, let alone singing in front of a group. In your instance, you know, you have that and then you change careers and it's something completely different. Are those times when you fear fearful and apprehensive, how do you approach that and what do you do to move past fear? It's a good question. Um, I think what music has taught me is how much reward can come from really tough, um, tough things you go through, mm-hmm. you know, it gives you that feedback. Um, you, you're afraid of this role because it's really hard and then you do it and you conquer it and you get that positive feedback and it's almost like an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> And I think, I think really that's where it comes from. It's, it's knowing that the harder the thing to do, the greater reward when you do it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I've kind of gotten into that cycle where I want to have that great reward. I want to conquer this new thing. Um, so that's what I keep in mind when I'm, when I'm doing something or about to do something that scares me okay. is like, how good is this going to feel when I've conquered it? And faith that, like, hopefully I will. <laughs> I think that's also helped a lot is just faith in myself as a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know everything. I know very little relatively in terms of, like, the people I'm programming with that have done it for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that can get me down and I'm like, oh my God, I, I hardly know anything. But that I have to remember, I can learn anything, you know, and, and that helps me get through that. Mm-hmm. Again, that's something that really came from opera as well. Yeah. You're a constant learner. Right. It never stops. Yeah. You always have new roles to learn and, and new techniques and yeah. Yeah. So with everything that you've done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Ooh. Hmm. I think (laughs) this is such a good question. (laughs) Again, I'm going to go back to my engineering brother. Okay. Um, He's like the star of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, he told me never apply for a job where you fit all the jo- the job requirements. Why the hell would you do that? You already knew all these things. Yeah. Why would you go into a job where you already know how to do everything? Mm-hmm. You know, g- 
go into a job where you don't know all the things and, and that's going to be the interesting one. And I think that's especially valid and, and valuable to hear as a female in tech. Uh, there's been a study out there, um, that has shown that women, um, are most, they're not going to apply for a job until they have, um, they can check off 100% of the job mm-hmm. requirements. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure they've conquered everything on that list and then they'll apply for that job. Sure. Men, on the other hand, they'll apply if they only can check off 60% of that list. So that kind of just fed into my always learn, always grow, and and have faith that you can do those things mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's that's interesting. I so I the job I have now, I actually applied for a job that I was not even remotely qualified for, and they liked my resume so much they created my current position for me. Yes, I so, love that. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll just send in my resume. It's not a big deal. And I've done that. I've, I've, so I've, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because I've done that multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. The other people that I, I know who need to check off every single box first before they apply for that. And I'm like, no, just, just apply for it. If they yeah. don't like you, then what harm has it done? You've just, mm-hmm. you know, spent however long it was to write up your resume and to, to, you know, craft your cover letter for that position but it's not like worst case scenario is they'll say no to you but best case scenario is they'll call you and Mm -hmm. say you don't work like in my case it was oh you're not qualified qualified at all for this job but something else opened up and we like you enough that we want to interview you for this other position that's not even posted yet Mm -hmm. yeah and if you had been afraid of failure and if you had like said, no, I need to be perfect at this job. You never would have gotten that. No, no. Cause I don't think I actually qualify for any really job. <laughs> I, 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 100%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a conversation for another time. Though, like insecurity yeah. 101. Oh my gosh. Imposter syndrome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That'd be my next podcast. Imposter yeah. syndrome. <laughs> So what do you what do you don't feel like you qualify for? What would all <laughs> that would be the longest podcast ever. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the eighteen hour podcast. <laughs> exactly. We're just gonna name things that we don't feel qualified for <laughs> <Yeah>. and go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Catherine, it's <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Likewise. Thank you, thank you so much. I, this has been fantastic. If the Listeners would like to um, see more of what you're working on or connect with you. What is the best way they can do that? Best way to to get with me is with Twitter. Okay. Uh, my handle is CC Myers. That's M E Y E R S three two four. Excellent, and I will put that in the show notes as well as other things that we talked about during this episode. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Of course, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, 
please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day. Awesome. Yay! This was great. Thank you again. Yay! I forgot to tell my poop on arm story. was poop on arms. Uh, I taught, I taught early childhood music as one of my many day jobs. And it was like one of the turning points of like, I fucking got to get out of here is when a child pooped in my arm. (laughs) Oh my God, that's awesome. (laughs)